0: Welcome to The Jury Is Out, a podcast for trial attorneys who want to sharpen their skills and better serve their clients. Your co-hosts are John Simon, founder of The Simon Law Firm, Tim Cronin, personal injury trial attorney at The Simon Law Firm, and St. Louis attorney Eric Veith.
1: Welcome to another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Eric Veith.
2: I'm Tim Cronin.
1: I'm John Simon.
2: We are continuing our discussion about product liability cases. We have some sessions about general things about product liability case and then some sessions about discovery generally. And today we're going to be talking about deposing the corporation in a product liability case. So, in, in Missouri, there's Rule 57B4 that allows you to depose a corporation, including if the corporation is a party. Illinois, I think, is Rule 206, and every state pretty much has their own rule. So a party generally may, in the notice and in a subpoena, name as the deponent, a public or private corporation or partnership or a government agency or other type of entity, and describe with reasonable particularity the matters on which the examination is requested. Then the organization has to designate one or more officers, directors, agents, or employees to, to testify on their behalf. They can do one person or multiple people to set forth which person is designated on which topics. Naturally, and there's case law about this, the the topics are described are a little bit more broad and vague than an interrogatory would be just to give them notice about what they're, the general nature of what they're there to address. That person designated shall testify to matters known or reasonably available to the organization. So this is an issue that sometimes comes up for all of us where the person is there saying, well, I don't know, I'm just the risk manager, or I'm just the whatever their position is, and that's that's not proper. The organization or the attorney for that party has an obligation to arm that deponent with all of the information known or reasonably available to the organization. It allows accessibility to the internal company information by subject matter, you don't have to identify the correct person or persons within the company. They can't refuse to answer for lack of personal knowledge unless they're saying the company has no knowledge about that, which means we had this issue yesterday at the depot, John. Yes. The corporation, the defendant cannot come in then and take a position on that and try to present evidence. Right, he, he would look over at his lawyer and say, I don't know. Right, and we were trying to point out, okay, well then you're not gonna come in and talk about the cause of this incident. And there's chirping about the lawyer saying, well, yeah, we can. I'm the lawyer and I have defenses. And no, just like we're bound by our client's answers as the plaintiff, they're bound by their answers as, as the defendant because that's who the deponent is, the defendant. Personal knowledge of that corporate rep is irrelevant for purposes of the deposition, but you can generally ask questions outside the scope of the notice that are just for the personal knowledge of the deponent, and they still have to answer.
3: That happens to me a lot in, in a corporate rep deposition where – you'll get the objection outside the scope, outside the scope. And I've I've actually had attorneys instruct a witness not to answer it because it was outside the scope of the deposition. That's improper. And well, yeah, so let's talk about that. What, What do you, why is it improper? And then what do you do if that
2: happens? I know in Missouri there's case law and in federal court there's case law that says that's not a proper objection to tell them not to answer because of it. It's okay to make the objection and it's a proper objection, but then if they're right the person's answer is just based on their personal knowledge and that answer is not binding on the corporation and you can go back later and figure out if it's within the scope of the no of the notice right
3: that that doesn't need to be decided at the deposition that's a matter at at, you know at trial for the pre at a pretrial or for the court to make that decision
2: and so i what i usually say is look it's well established under the law and i can go grab cases for you and do your research for you but it's perfectly within your right to make that objection to remind yourself you think this is outside the scope and you think this is just a based on personal knowledge but the witness still has to answer the question because the courts recognize we could just turn around and like you said yesterday we can turn around and renotice the depot of the person which is not convenient or efficient for anybody and you can hash out later whether they're bound to that answer because it was within the scope of a topic
3: when you take the deposition should you is there a need to notice it personally and as the corporate rep or just as the corporate
2: rep? You do not have to notice it personally as in, and as the corporate rep. Because they're there they're under oath. They have to answer questions based on their personal knowledge anyway. It doesn't hurt if you do both, I mean, but you do not have to do both. Yeah, right. and that, Eric, that's your understanding.
1: I've had a situation where the, the person was produced as the corporate rep, but the attorney setting up the deposition also noticed them as an individual witness. And the attorney representing the corporate rep yeah. said, tell me which one we're going to do first. And they wanted to say, are, are we doing corporate rep first? Or are we doing personal? And it, it did get into some thorny issues. But
2: yeah, they're really not entitled.
1: But, the, but that the, but that leverage was pretty good. Because yeah. if he said, well, that's outside of the scope, the 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 person representing the corporate rep would say, look, do you really want to do a separate deposition or do yeah. you want to get this over now? And we can do that. And that's why I, you know, I noticed him individually as well. So I've seen that. Yeah, I, I don't normally do it. When I've had that
2: argument during a depot, I've always had the other person acquiesce and allow the person to answer the question.
3: We, we had that happen in the most recent deposition where, you know, there's usually a, a big battle over, you know, objections to the questions. What what is what, or the is it, topics? Yeah, how is that any different than normal discovery? Usually, when you send a corporate rep notice, we'll get a series of objections, pretty much objection objecting to everything that we have in the notice. Yes, and you know. What I what I tend to do because it's not written discovery, it's not asking for particular documents or written questions that the attorneys are going to review. But
2: you but you can include in your corporate rep notice a request for documents, just like
3: oh, absolutely, absolutely, R&Ds. and we do. And and what I what I've done in the past is let us say let's let's take the deposition, and because you know, as you said, the person's under oath, they're not going to withhold information that they know. Yeah. And if the person is is prepped, you know, there may be particular topics that. it it may require them to produce multiple witnesses,
2: right? Sure. So here's what I would say to that, is under the rules, sending objections, and it's often infuriating because we'll have a corporate rep notice out there for three, four months when we're like begging to get a date for the corporate rep, we finally get one, we're about to take it the next day, and we get an email with objections to the topics the night before sending objections to a corporate rep notice is is a meaningless practice it accomplishes nothing the only way and i'm sure there are some states that are different but i'm pretty sure in federal court and i know in missouri and i think in illinois and in most states it, the onus is on the receipt like the the person producing the corporate rep if they want to limit the scope of the topics or reduce or eliminate them they have to file a motion for protective order that's the only way to properly limit the scope or eliminate topics. If they don't do that and then just send a bunch of objections and they say, well, I mean, they're not being produced on this, I usually do what you just said. I say, look, under the rules that is sending me objections is meaningless. You're entitled to make objections during the depot, but you have a responsibility to produce this person on these topics. The depot is tomorrow. We're going forward with the depot, and we'll see if there's actually problems we have or not. Most of the time, we go forward with the depot. Sometimes I've had defense counsel say, "Well, I'm not doing it, so now I'm not producing them, and I'll file a motion for protective order." And then that's that's what we do.
3: So another thing that I see, not not as often, but sometimes you see it is they will, you know, I think intentionally pick the person who is least knowledgeable about the subject matter, you (laughs) know, and trouble, right? And and again, you you, in the deposition, you got to remind them you know, th- this testimony in the deposition that the, the defendant is going to be limited in this
2: litigation by the information that's provided in this yeah. deposition. They can pick someone, as happened yesterday, who doesn't work at the company anymore. They can pick John Smith, who has never worked at the company, if he's willing to service their corporate rep, but that person has the obligation of coming armed with all of the information reasonably available to the corporation. And oftentimes, like you said, they just don't actually make an effort to do that. And look, I'm sure this is an onerous, like very difficult and frustrating part of defense practice. The, corp- the corporate rep rule is probably but, aggravating.
3: But the, the, op- you know, the flip side of that is when on our side, on the plaintiff side, we don't know who in the company knows what. We don't know and that's the where point. the information is. Yeah. We, we don't know the names of the person who has the information that we're interested in. and And it likely is multiple people. And, and that's the whole purpose of the rule.
2: And they can put, put – Right. Yeah, it, it is to put the parties on equal footing because we don't even know – they don't have to give us topics for our client. We go into our client's depot not knowing – I mean they can ask anything they want unless it's privileged. It's to put the parties on equal footing that both parties, when they go into the, the deposition of the opposing party, knowing this testimony is binding upon that party and – so we don't have to go chasing our tail taking a hundred depositions to try to figure out who the right person is. They have to produce multiple witnesses on those topics or arm the people that are produced with all of the information. And oftentimes we all we find out that they and sometimes it's just innocent. Like that okay, you know, we didn't we didn't anticipate that question for this topic. We agree with it's within the notice, we're gonna have to give you someone else. And that's why we ask questions like who would be the person who knows the most about that? Yeah,
3: them? and what I do too is if, if the witness says in the deposition, I don't know, rather than you know, getting in an argument and saying, well, you know, then you're limited. What I'll do is say, okay, you're, you're not the one to ask at the company. We would need to ask somebody else, Yeah. and who would that be? Who would you go to? Who would you recommend if we were interested in, in getting this information? And certainly it
2: exists, and you understand this topic was set forth in the notice. Right.
1: So I've had problems with people objections on the other side that I've asked that topic as though the topic is a question and I had to make the argument these are not questions All I right. wrote these are these are topics there's, there's a big difference. So on that topic, I pulled up a case it's a Missouri case that I've relied on state X XR plunk versus K-Ker. That's that's the Missouri case. And it's 1992, but it said in determining if a topic is overly broad, the only questions, or whether the topic is relevant to the case and whether the matters to be covered are stated with sufficient clarity so that the deponent is able to discern the times, places, persons, objects, or events to be covered at the deposition. Right. That's it. it.
2: And either that case or another one says, naturally, this will be stated, like, more more broadly than an interrogatory. Yep. And so that is the case every time we have that fight. That's the case we bring up to the judge and go, judge, look at this. Like, I don't have to list out the 400 questions I'm going to ask. That's ridiculous. I've I've set forth, like, testing that was done on this product. That's all I have to do.
1: I'm thinking of this quote by Upton Sinclair. It's difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on his not understanding it. And to, <laughs> par- to paraphrase that, for a corporate rep, it's difficult to get a witness to discuss something when his salary depends upon him not discussing it or yeah. s- something like that so a brand new attorney or a law student in my case might read the rule and go oh all I got to do is set up the topics and I ask him about the topics and yeah. they give me the answers and so what what would be your first bits of advice to disabuse them of thinking that it's in the park Do you think it's that easy, you're probably
2: not going to get all of the information that you need to or can gain from the use of this very valuable rule, which is a corporate rep depo. I mean, you need to be prepared to dig fully into whether they actually have all the knowledge on the topic and if not, where you can get it. Yeah. And, and I mean, relentless. The, about And really, the corporate rep
3: is your shot. I mean It is. It's, so here's another issue. When do you take the corporate rep deposition? Do you take it in the beginning of the case? do you take I, it i think you through? certainly
2: you want to serve you want to like try to get done with written discovery i mean you're never done with written discovery but you want to try to get all the document like interrogatories answered and in documents that comprise most of the material before you take the corporate rep so you can review them and utilize them in the deposition <laughs> in some cases hmm. the corporate rep is the first step i will take in others i want to pick around the edges and take a bunch of people to learn as much as I can before I take the corporate rep. And it's really just a matter of feel. I don't know, John, if you, I know you do the same thing. I
3: like to kind of wade into the case a little bit so that I at least know the lay of the land. I know about the company. I know generally about the product. I know the process of, you know, either manufacturing, designing, what they did for testing, just general things. So you can be a little more Focused and specific in the in the corporate rep depot. I will tell you there are certain topics I think that are are critical in a in a corporate rep deposition. Actually, you know, think about it like this: the corporate rep deposition. Each question you ask is essentially a request for admissions. You know, That's a request exactly for admission. Mean. Yeah. And so you get to you know you get to formulate the question, and if they agree and acknowledge that that issue's done, you've you've proved it in the case. You know, that being the case. What some certain categories I have in every corporate rep deposition I've ever taken. And one of them is the basic elements of the case, not necessarily the facts of the case, but the elements. And we're talking about product cases. Did we name you properly, you know, the the company, right? Yeah. Did you design the product? Did you manufacture the product? Did you sell the product? You know, was it being used in a reasonably foreseeable manner? Those are the basic elements. Those are, it's just like a, a set of requests for admissions, except you have it in a medium where you can play it. It's a videotaped deposition, you can yeah. play it in the case. Most off most of the time in in our cases, you know, the corporate representatives aren't in in our state. And if we're in state court, we can't we can't compel them to be here. So we're taking the deposition and playing and, and playing it and overwhelmingly, I think when we take the deposition of the corporate representative, our intention is to play it. The other thing topic-wise you can cover or should cover in the deposition are the facts of your case and in other words, what's being disputed? You know, if you've got an accident where, you know, it was an intersectional collision, you know, one vehicle hit the other from, you know, from the side, or or if the speed is is at issue, whatever it is, whether whether your client was injured, whether the person in the vehicle died, whether the vehicle caught fire, whether it rolled over, how many times it rolled over, all of these things that you fight about in the case,
2: fact-wise, it's a good time for you to find out what actually is in dispute. And that's a fight we have sometimes where they'll say they don't have personal knowledge of it. We go, no, no, no. We, we set forth as a topic, plaintiff's allegations in this case, and whether defendant is admitting or denying them. And so we'll go through, like, are, are you admitting or denying that this was a reasonably foreseeable use? Are you admitting or denying that the plaintiff died as a result of the fire in this vehicle, right? And so right. Th-
3: you, you agree that the vehicle was struck from the side. You agree that the vehicle burst into flames on impact. You right. agree that the pers- the two you
2: know, occupants of the vehicle burned in the fire. Basically, lay all the foundation for your experts so they can no longer attack like the foundation for your experts.
3: Yeah, and it's it's such a such a powerful and helpful tool because as you can see, you're you're essentially putting your case on through the corporate rep. This is a deposition that is both, you know, evidentiary and discovery. Obviously, we'll need to cover some areas that you don't know the answer to. You, you're doing discovery. But on the other hand, there there are certain parts of your case you know you need to prove. There are certain facts in the case that you know you need to prove. And this is a great opportunity to, you know, lock them in.
2: Yeah. And
1: so be comprehensive. Go ahead. Uh, The flip side of that is if you are a defendant attorney, this is nerve wracking, stressful, terrible stuff to have to go into these depositions. Just as
2: terrifying as us producing our clients and our experts. Exactly. (laughs) And so,
1: you know, how long do you need to both ways? How long do you need to prepare your corporate rep witness? It might be days and days, you know, because you need it properly. They're they're almost sitting there like advocates. They need to understand, like you say, Tim, you're going to ask about the allegations. Yeah. Every one of those could be a landmine. Could be. So this is this is not easy stuff from the defense side at all. I,
2: th- I mean I think you if done properly under the rule, you need to you do need to take days and days and, to make and, sure you but, gather the information and give it to the deponent.
3: But here's a big advantage too. We mentioned this on an earlier podcast. The big advantage for the defendant is they get to pick their witness. They get to pick who that person is. Yeah. Rarely should you have somebody who's not a good doesn't make a good presentation. I never understand that when I take a corporate rep deposition and the person's you know difficult. obnoxious or a jerk or difficult how does that help anybody i mean if i if i were able to pick who my representative was going to be you know first and foremost i'd get somebody who is you know professional likable you know it's the jury yeah. i mean it, it, i don't need to like them but you know the, the, it certainly matters as to whether or not the jury likes the corporate rep, we're happy to give advice to our friends on the defense side. Yeah, And and my advice would be, you know, pick somebody who's nice, pick somebody who knows how to communicate. And you guys, you know, they all know that. I mean, yeah. it's what I'm saying is it's a tremendous opportunity to be able to decide who the witness is to pick, to
2: interview, to interview who your witness is going to be. So, you know, the first step is drafting the notice whenever you feel you're ready. Give yourself plenty of time that if the other side is going to You know, file a motion for protective order or take up objections that you have time to do it and still get the depot done when you need it done, which is typically before you want to disclose your experts, be comprehensive. I tend to do it by categories of information and I'll explain that because oftentimes you get the question, John, which topic is this about? And if you have everything in there, but it's in haphazard order, it's harder to find it. So I tend to put it in like categories, So I'll have like a miscellaneous section that is the nature and scope of the business of the defendant, including number of offices, any parent companies, subsidiaries, predecessors, organizational chart, and then like insurance information, authenticity of all the documents produced, and then have a category since we're talking about product liability cases that's for design, manufacture, and sale, where you go through and get all the admissions you need that we've talked about in past discovery about when and by whom it was designed, uh, how long it's been manufactured, who manufactured it, who sold it. All that stuff I put in one category and you know details about the manufacture based on
1: Are, the are you required to answer that question? What do you mean? You ask a question and the, your opponent says, what topic is that about? I, I, I mean, I typically don't. I answer it, I say, I don't know. If and I, I just keep asking questions. <laughs>
2: yeah. Uh, if, Which is a truthful answer. Sometimes, if if I don't think it's interrupting my flow, it often is. It, it, which it often, I'll I'll say, look, if you have an objection, it's outside the scope. It's noted. I'm gonna continue. We can hash that out later. But if I have it well organized and I know the notice really well, to get them to stop, the first few times I might go, yeah, it's topic ten, and then I read it. Go. So, I've made sure I'm asking questions within the topics council. So if you could please stop interrupting the flow of the demo, and usually they'll stop. You don't have to answer it by any means. I mean, they can make an objection that's outside the scope. Again, the witness answers the question, and you can hash out later if it's a binding answer or not. So design, manufacture, and sale, and all aspects of that reasonably available alternative feasible methods or alternative designs, policies, and procedures about design, manufacture, sale. And then we'll have a big section about testing, usually and all the different aspects of that that we've talked about that we ask in, in written discovery as well, and then a section about similar incidents and in claims, in a product liability claim. So essentially, all the things we ask about in written discovery, we, we, we put forward as, as topics in the corporate rep deposition so that we can actually ask a witness live rather than just relying on written discovery answers that have gone through counsel.
1: Do you use your written discovery then as a model for creating your your deposition notice? I do, and then I go back and I look at
2: past corporate rep notices that I've done in product cases to make sure I've covered everything. And then the first thing, when I take the depo, and again, this can it can be several days, several witnesses, I videotape it. The first thing I do is confirm that the witness understands their role and the extent of their knowledge. So we usually will go into their employment history if they did work at the company, when, what, jobs if they had, at what times, what those duties are, what education, and then ask if they understand they're being produced as a corporate rep for XYZ company, that they understand they're answering on behalf of the corporation, ask if the defendant's been properly named, and then I pull out the notice, because I don't want later, if, if a particular topic didn't go well, the lawyer to go, oh, they were I'm producing somebody else on the testing topic. Well, you didn't tell me that ahead of time, man, so... I pull out the notice and ask the witness if they've seen it and say, you understand you're here to address all of these topics. Which topics are you here to discuss? And if not,
1: counsel, who is the designated witness for these other topics? Because I need to know that. Has anyone, after the deposition is over, said, oh, I'm producing another person on that topic? We kind of had that issue yesterday where it was trying to be said during the depot. And then we went
2: through and clarified, no, we're going to find out right now. Ah. Yeah, I, I think part of it is that
3: Like Tim was saying earlier, it's hard to address, you know, get one person to address everything. And we're not required to give questions but topics. So you really don't know ahead of time. There may be, you know, sub-issues within the issues. And I think all the time, almost in every case, you're going to run into questions that the witness, even though they were prepared properly, might not know the, the answer to. And we don't and jump it, down yeah. people's throat. For no, that. not at all. And I think it's if they don't know as I said, what I do is I, I, it's not a big deal at all. I'll just say okay, that's fine, we need to talk to somebody else. Who would that be? And then we make a list of, of of who else we need to depose. And again, whether it's a corporate whether that other person is produced in the capacity as as a corporate rep or not, the defense attorney's also, you know, if the information is relevant to the case and they want to use it at trial, if if their corporate rep doesn't provide the information, they may be limited in in getting it out. So,
1: how do you lock that down during the deposition? That I'm dissatisfied. That I, I don't think your witness has the knowledge. I just ask the witness. It? I say if that because you know they're either going to tell you
3: that what they know or that they don't know, and you know they don't, they don't hesitate. Most witnesses won't hesitate. You know to tell you. I'm sorry, I don't know that. I'd have to look that
1: up or I'd have to go to somebody else to get it. What I was wondering is whether you need to reach some sort of agreement on the record with the other counsel, the other attorney. I, I don't, I think just the, by the question and answer, you're, you're
3: you're laying the foundation just with the question and with the answer. I mean, I think that's all you need.
2: I try to avoid that fight because they don't want to admit on the record that they didn't comply with the notice. And oftentimes, like we said, it's innocent. I mean, they can't know every question we're going to
3: ask. And, and, and so- really the, the ultimate goal is getting the information. Yeah. And if it's not by this, if, you know, if, if we need to take another deposition or two to get the information, that's fine. That's the way it
2: goes. Then it's a matter of going through and trying to get admissions. I mean, some of it's information gathering, but trying to get admissions that you can for all of, for every aspect of your case that you can. Whether the product was defective and unreasonably dangerous, that would be a nice admission to get. Doesn't like happen frequently in a corporate rep depot, but sometimes. And if so, how long they knew it. And then, like you said, try to establish the elements of your case and then go through and establish, get admissions about whether they did test and it showed these dangers or if they did no testing, etc. So just be very, very thorough. It's generally going to be a long defo that's going to take you a while. I don't think we've ever handled a product case where we didn't take a comprehensive corporate rep depot.
1: Do you? No, I agree with you. Have um, either of you run into time limits on a corporate rep deposition? I'm, I'm just wondering, I don't know this. Is, is, is there's limits on the amount of hours you can spend on a deposition? Does that apply to corporate rep depositions? It seems like these could go for days. I've had some arguments about it. I mean, I guess it kind of depends on what
2: court you're in front of and what judge mm-hmm. you think you have. So in I, Missouri, I would say what is the. You need it to figure that out before you going in. Yeah, I try to get that squared away going in, like, hey, look, here's all the topics that you know you haven't gotten a protective order to limit them there's no way we can get this done is it going to be one witness or multiple if it's split up over three or four witnesses you're usually not going to have a problem they're not going to try to say comprehensively you have to finish all of these witnesses in seven hours if it's one person then i go look the fact that you designated one person to cover these 50 topics doesn't doesn't magically mean i can somehow get it done within three hours or seven hours or whatever and just try to negotiate it ahead of time if you're moving through the material i I don't i haven't had a problem where if you get to the end of the day and you didn't get done and everybody wants to go home where they don't agree to reproduce yeah you know we, we always work it out it works out one way or another so with that said i would just say be comprehensive in your notice Make sure you have everything in there you want to cover that's consistent with all the things we have previously discussed wanting to cover in your written discovery. And then take your time, be methodical, get as many admissions as you can. And if the, if the witness is not there with, with the information they're supposed to have about your topics, make sure you find out where you can get it. The whole point of doing the corporate rep notice
3: and taking the deposition is it's, it's, a, it's a powerful tool for, for the reasons that we talked about, number one, you don't need to figure out who has the information. All you need to talk to, you know, in the notice is just put what what the topic is and they're required to get somebody, and again, think about this, they're required to get somebody to, to you know, allow you to depose someone who has all the knowledge available to
2: the company on that issue. I mean, and think it, about how powerful that and, is. And it has to provide binding testimony on it. It's because prior to this rule, there was a lot of tail chasing, right? where you'd be going, running around, taking 15 people's depositions at the corporation and they'd be pointing at each other and backwards and in different directions saying, I don't have that, but they have it.
3: So um, powerful tool, very effective. You know, it's something that, especially in product liability cases, is incredibly helpful. Allows you to eliminate issues, lock in testimony, and and do discovery that you need to do in the case. This concludes our
2: episode about deposing the corporation in a product liability case. This has been another episode of The Jury Is Out. I'm Tim Grohman.
3: I'm Eric Meath. I'm John Simon. We'll see you next time.
0: The Jury is Out is brought to you by The Simon Law Firm. At The Simon Law Firm PC, we believe in the power of pooling resources in order to create powerful results. We often lend our trial skills and experience to lawyers around the country to achieve better results for their clients. Our attorneys welcome the opportunity to work with you on your case, offering vast resources, seasoned litigators, and a sterling reputation. You can contact us at 314-241-2929. And if you enjoyed the podcast, feel free to share your thoughts with John, Tim, and Eric at comments at thejuryisout.law. And subscribe today, because the best lawyers never stop learning.